This is Psalm number 139. O Lord, you have searched me out and you know me. You know when I sit, when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God! Away from me, you bloodthirsty men! They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. 
see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, there's an old wives' tale that tells of a young girl drawing a picture. You've probably heard of it. Her teacher looks over her shoulder. What are you drawing, she says. I'm drawing God. The teacher laughs. No one knows what God looks like. She looks up at her teacher. Well, they will do in a minute. What is God like? The word often used to characterize God is is omni, isn't it? All. It describes something of his fullness, the wholeness of God. And that's a great framework for this psalm, to think about God's character. Because we find something about his character in each of the sections of the psalm. Let's look at them in turn, shall we? Verse 1 to 6, we've got the omniscient, the all-knowing God. Now the thought that God knows everything about us can fill us with fear and concern. Many of us have got a big brother view of God. The cameras are on. He's waiting for us. The housemates, that's who we are. He's waiting for us to make the mistakes that may lead to our ejection from the house. Guys, that's so far from the truth, if that's our view of God. The psalmist sees um, perfect knowledge. The perfect knowledge of God is a great thing, a positive thing. This isn't a fearful knowledge, but reverent awe at the mystery of such wonderful sight that God has. You see, there are no limitations on God's knowledge. He's searched and known the psalmist, verse 1. He knows him well because he knows when he sits and when he rises, verse 2. He perceives his thoughts from afar. He discerns his going out and his lying down, verse 3. Before a word is on his tongue, he knows it. We all know some married couples like that, don't we? where one starts a sentence and the other finishes it. Well, this is God, and before a word is on my tongue, he knows it. In my darker moments, when I think that no one understands me, that my issues are too complex, that my situation is too individual, my character too intricate, no one can understand. But God does. God does know and understand He sees what happens, verse 3, in public and in private. He hems me in, verse 5, going after me and before me. He's searched me out. He's discerned my path. He's acquainted with all my ways. That word, he discerns my path, in verse 3, is the same word as winnowing. God, you have blown through me. You know me. You sift through me. You know my actions, my thoughts, my motivations. You know me better than I know myself. No wonder these thoughts are too high, too lofty for me to attain, verse 6. This is the God to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden. When we cry, if only you knew the real me, 
when we struggle to express what's happening in us, what we're experiencing, because words just don't seem to do it justice. When we think that God could never love us because of the things that we hide from others. When we consider the things that we keep hidden from everyone else, we can take comfort in this. He knows us and he still loves us. He's all-knowing. He's omniscient. But verses 7 to 12, he's also ever-present. He's omnipresent. He's the ever-present God. And there's something very exposing about this knowledge, isn't there? You see, I love the fact that God knows me, but I'm not sure I want him to know me that well. (laughs) Such intimate knowledge of me scares me. The God who is always everywhere knows me, yet I'm unfit to be known. So if I go to the the heavens or the depths, verse 8, or if I go to the far side of the sea or the wings of the dawn, verse 9, high or low, left or right, God, you're there. You know, with the first Soviet cosmonauts, when they went up in their spaceship, they joked that they didn't see God. But he saw them. If I go to the darkest of places, verse 11, if I hide behind my PC in the so-called private world of the web, if I hide out in a pub or a club in the darkest parts of town, if I remove myself from all contact with others, I still find that there is nowhere to hide. I was talking with someone this week who's been drawn back to faith after many years of being away. And she said this, I realized that he never left me. In all those years of walking away, I realized that he never left me. So verse 10, I run to you when I find that all the time you've been guiding and holding me. So do you see how this is good news? He's the God who knows me. And I may not want to be known like that, but he is always there and he will never leave me. This week we've heard that there is modern trafficking uh, of people happening in every major town and city in the UK. That is an abomination. And what is so often hidden to us is seen by God. He knows and he's present. He is holding those that are being trafficked. And he has not left them. And he will bring justice. He's all-knowing and he's all-present. But he's also the all-powerful, the all-creative. He's the God who is omnipotent, verses 13 to 18. Why does he know me so well? Well, verse 13, for you... You yourself formed my inmost inmost parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. The same word is used here as the embroidering of the curtains of the tabernacle. What they would have spent hours uh, and over. What would have been intricate and beautiful. This is the word that is being used of the way that God knitted us together in our mother's womb. He embroidered us together in the womb. When we were made, verse 15, in the secret place, 
what an intricate work we are. So many questions for us today revolve around our identity, don't they? Who are we? Who do we strive to be? Well, relax, says the psalmist. God knows us. He made us. He created us. Your beauty is not some aesthetic idea. You don't need to work at being all that society or friends or Facebook tell you to be because God has made you. And when he made you, he said, this is very good. Our pursuit of beauty is never ending. Our perception of beauty is always changing. But the fact that we're created means that we can be sure that we are no mistake. That God has good purposes for us. That none of our days are mistaken. We're intricately made, fearfully and wonderfully made, verse 14. Your eyes saw me, verse 16, in embryonic form when my body was unformed in the secret place. And yet in your book was written every day for me, verse 16. Before I breathed my first breath, God had seen me. He knew me. He knew this day that I would have. He knew the days that are to come. This is the sovereign power of the all-creating God. God has a purpose for this fallen world, even when bodies or minds are not perfectly formed. He gives significance and value to each life. He gives significance and value to the life of that young child, of the mother I know, who died in the womb earlier this week. He gives significance and value to every life. What a thought when we come up against issues of euthanasia or abortion. I know this is sensitive territory, but since 2012 there have been 185,000 abortions carried out every year in England and Wales. There were just under 700,000 births in the same countries last year. So by my crude maths, that means that we terminate one in five of babies in the womb every year. I don't have time to go into the ethics of this, to think about the individual stories, often harrowing and difficult, that lay behind the statistics. But God speaks of each of those lives like this. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth. God leaves nothing to chance. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. Each of us is a miracle. The power, the the, the, the extension of a powerful creator. No two of us are precisely the same. Do you know we've got 1,200 miles of blood vessels in our bodies? Our hearts will beat about 100,000 times today, pumping 5.5 liters per minute, which is about 3 million liters of blood every year. Our eyes, they can distinguish between 2.3 and 7.5 million different colors. Our nose can differentiate between 1 trillion different smells. 
Our fingers can feel a ridge 13 nanometers in size. That's 7,500 times smaller than the diameter of a hair, a human hair. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Praise God. And all the days ordained for us are written in the book of life. I often use this psalm and these verses when babies are born and when we celebrate life, but they're equally powerful at the end of life on this earth. I sat at the bedside this week of Brenda Good, one of the congregation here who went to be with Jesus this week. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Her days ordained in his book and now living with him in eternity forever. When she awakes, she is still with him. And we want to stop there, don't we? I have to admit that I often read up to verse 18 and stop there. The song we sang earlier reflected Psalm 139 and and sang through up to verse 18 and stopped there. I met up for lunch with somebody this week and we read this psalm together because I wanted to do some preliminary homework for my sermon. Um, And I wanted to get his reactions and, and responses. What did you make of it, I said. And he said, well, it's the change in tone in verse 19 that matters, isn't it? That's what you've got to explain in your sermon. It doesn't fit with the rest. All this talk of slaying others, of hating and abhorring, It just seems so offensive to us, doesn't it? Let's leave them out. Why don't we close in prayer now? But I think these verses, difficult as they are, just as we saw last week with Psalm 137, are key. We can't just ignore them. They show the trajectory, the direction of the whole psalm. This is the so what. It's the application. What do we do with the fact that God is all-knowing, that he's ever-present, that he's all-powerful? Well, Calvin expressed it like this. He said this, It's certain that man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked upon God's face and then descends from contemplating him to scrutinize himself. You see, the omni-God, the all-in God, wants an omni-righteousness, an all-in people who declare that Jesus is Lord, an all-holy people. You see, these verses make us question whether we are for the righteous or for the wicked. Yes, it's extreme language. It says that there are those who oppose God, who speak against him, who take his name and use it in vain. And it asks you and me as those who are known and searched out and loved and created. It asks us where we put ourselves. You see, in our culture, the liberal middle road is what is acceptable. The wise person sits on the fence, advocates tolerance of anyone and everything, sees injustice and immorality, and shrugs their shoulders and says, oh well, each to their own. It doesn't dare suggest that some way of living might be damaging to us. And in our churches, we tell ourselves that we need to move with culture, go along with the times, get on board with the things of the world, trust God's, work only, trust God's word only so far as it doesn't impinge on our or other people's lifestyles and momentary happiness. But the question that this psalm's bring is this, 
with whom do you identify? Do you identify with the bloodthirsty men of verse 19 who've got no respect for the sanctity of life? With those who speak against God, verse 20, who misuse his name, even though he made them fear wonderfully. Who can't just say that there is no right or wrong. Sorry, we can't just say that there is no right or wrong if there's a God who knows and sees all. We have to stand. And God calls us to stand. Not to sleep our way into oblivion while the battle rages around us. With whom do you stand? With whom do you identify an ally? Who do you trust? The one who created you? Who knows you? Who never leaves you? Or with those who stand against him? Who rise up against him? Who misuse his name? The psalmist knows where he stands. But as the psalmist calls for God to act against the wicked... Do you see, he also knows the depths and the shallowness of his own heart. The righteous God wants a righteous people who are zealous for good deeds. And the psalmist realizes that he falls way short. Search me and know me. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You see, he knows that as a human judge of others... He himself will be judged. So he invites himself to be brought under the scrutiny of God. And we need to do the same. This isn't about salvation. God lays on the righteousness of Jesus onto those who believe and trust in him. This is not a gospel of works. But it does encourage us to think, to consider carefully our actions And where we stand, even when God clothes us in the righteousness of Jesus. And of course, on this side of the cross, we know that Jesus died both for the psalmist and for the bloodthirsty men. And for you and I. That we might know him, experience rescue and redemption. So lead me, he says. Don't force me, don't cajole me, but guide me and lead me in the way everlasting. Do you see how the psalm begins? You have searched me, O Lord. And it ends, search me, verse 23. The God who has searched him and known him is invited to search him because rightly he doesn't trust himself when he judges others, when he speaks emotionally, when he seeks to discern those who are or who aren't God's enemies. Search me, test me. Know my anxious thoughts, winnow me, sift me, make me more like Jesus. This is a beautiful psalm, isn't it? But it leads to verses 19 to 24, where where we're shown the reality of what comes from a God who knows all, from whom we cannot flee, who is all-powerful. It leads us to a call to holiness to righteousness, where we live in the real world, making difficult decisions as we seek to follow Jesus. Because unlike some other world religions, Christianity doesn't allow us to to escape from the real world and real moral choices. As Christians, we need to make a choice over whether Charlie Gard's life was prolonged in vain 
or whether the judges and medical experts let him down. We can't just overlook the time when our child comes back from school with a new phone that we didn't buy him. We need to say something and stand. We have to stand against the advice of our accountant when they persuade us to make more deductions against our income than we really should. You see, we're called to holiness, to live for him. Our omni-God, our all-present and all-knowing God also calls for an omni-people, an all-holy people, an all-in people. He sees all, he knows all, he searches all. And so he calls us to be all in. So knowing that we're fearfully and wonderfully made, we can be confident in all that God has for us and has made us to be. To be those that make moral decisions. To be those that are confident to stand for God's truth, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. A few months ago, 29 Coptic Christians were killed traveling on a bus to a desert monastery in Egypt. A young mother whose husband and relatives had been killed in the attack spoke of the jihadists who ordered the women off the bus and told them to convert to Islam. Renounce our faith, she said. Of course not. If we had, they might have let us off the bus and treated us well. But we only want Jesus. And we're confident that he will not leave us. Jesus is Lord. Like that woman, like those throughout history that have proclaimed that Jesus is Lord, we are those who have met the omni-God, the one who knows us, who won't leave us, who is all-powerful. Where does that knowledge lead us? Blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on it they meditate day and night. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you know us, you formed us, you love us, you will never leave us. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. But Jesus, we pray that you would search us. Search me. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting.
So, Lord Jesus, we confess our sin to you. We delight in who you are. We give great thanks that because of your cross, Jesus, we are forgiven and given new life and new starts. We praise you for your grace. We thank you for your throne of mercy. And this morning we want to say, Jesus, that you are Lord. And as the God who is all, this morning we ask that we would be all in for you. Amen.